My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. This is Laura Lee Rourke from the It's Not About Food podcast, and I am going to talk about intuitive eating right now with my guests, and I'll have her introduce herself and tell you all about her in just a moment. But I find in these times when we are already deprived of maybe our money or our work or going anywhere that we want to go, I find that a lot of times what we also want to do is go into deprivation about food and things that we need. I know my tendency is to clamp down on everything when I feel fear and anger and being upset and not knowing what's out of control. So thank goodness I haven't gone on a cleanse and I don't need to diet right now for many, many years. But I have heard from a lot of my clients that they're scared. They're scared that they're going to gain weight during this time or they're not eating right or they're not eating what they should be eating. And so it's we're going back to basics with a lot of people who've had some years of recovery of remember that your body knows how to do this. We know how to do it. It's okay. We can let go and eat when we're hungry and eat what our body asks us for and stop when we're full. And then if we eat a bunch of cookies, that's okay. We didn't murder anybody yet today. And so we need to remember that we got this. We know how to do this. So I'm going to introduce my guest who has a wonderful book. And we were just talking about some other stuff that's coming out too. And I want her to tell us all about all the stuff that she's doing. So take it away. Well, thank you, Laura Lee, for having me on. So for anyone who doesn't know me, my name's Elise Resch. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist in private practice for 38 years in Beverly Hills, California. I'm also a certified eating disorder RD and certified eating disorder RD supervisor through IADEP, which is the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. And originally, way back when, when I was in my 20s, I was an elementary school teacher and I went back to graduate school when I was 30. And I think that so many of my skills and love for teaching come into my work as a nutrition therapist. That's really the label that I call myself because the work is therapeutic and I'm talking to clients on a regular basis in a client-focused way, process-focused way, motivational interviewing way. And I'm also, okay, going back to the books, I am the co-author of Intuitive Eating with Evelyn Trivoli, and Intuitive Eating originally came out in 1995. So, so this fantastic. is our 25-year anniversary, and our fourth edition is coming out on June 23rd. Oh, my so gosh. So really, yeah, we started writing that book probably in 1993. It takes a couple of years to get a book published. And the basis of Intuitive Eating is the basics of Intuitive Eating are certainly in the original book, but some of our philosophy has changed over time. And in this new book, we've renamed a couple of the chapters and we've reordered a couple of the chapters because of the way we're thinking and doing things. And we're putting a very large focus on eliminating weight bias and weight stigma. Yes, thank you. (laughs) So that's the original book and the fourth edition coming out now. The third edition was 2012. And then we have the Intuitive Eating Workbook, which came out in 2017, which is a very intensive group of exercises, activities that really help people 
hone into their intuitive eating, into their wisdom, their internal wisdom. And then I wrote the Intuitive Eating Workbook for Teens, which just came out last year. And I wrote it. It was a fun book to write. I loved it. I was writing in teen language and The goal of the book is to help prevent eating disorders, help kids, especially if I could get to them, even at 12 years old, to understand why diets are so toxic and why diet culture can just trap them and help them become autonomous in a way that includes rejecting the whole diet culture mentality. So that book also, by the way, is not only for teens. I like to frame it as it's for the teen in each of us because it speaks to all of those rebellious feelings that teenagers have, which are appropriate for their developmental stage. And guess what? We all continue to have that rebelliousness in us, especially when we're told what to do. To me, autonomy is one of the basic psychological tenets of intuitive eating is being able to trust your own wisdom and make your own decisions and not be told what to do. And then in addition, I am uh, just in the process of working on an intuitive eating journal book, also through New Harbinger, who is the publisher of the workbooks. And it's more of a free-flowing book. It's going to be designed by New Harbinger, and it's going to have some interesting design aspects. And it's somewhere between a book and a workbook in that it's teaching, but it's not as specific in terms of exercises. There's more room for people to explore their own feelings and thoughts. And there's a couple of something else in the works that we haven't quite sign the contract, so maybe I won't mention it yet. So that's who I am. And at the moment, of course, I'm not in my office every day. I'm at home working, and it's an interesting shift. There's some advantages to it and some disadvantages to it. Well, one thing I want to pounce on, I think, is that this idea of what you said about your teenage book, that it's a rebellious part of the growing up, I guess. But I find that a lot of my clients, and certainly me, when I was struggling with my eating disorder, a lot of times I was eating over rebellion. I was restricting out of rebellion, and then I would compulsively overeat out of rebellion, and then I would go on diets and then go completely crazy over rebellion. And I know you say, and I say the same thing, it's like, don't let that rebellious person kill you. It's like, we need her, we need him, that rebellious part of us. I often say, don't let her drive the car all the time. Well, I think that so much of my work is inner child work, and I think it's very important to understand the developmental stages that kids go through in growing up to become healthy adults, and that a lot of that is based on Eric Erickson's work, The Eight Stages of Man, which I would rename. Yes, <laughs> of stages course. Of human. So that second developmental stage is starts around 18 months, goes through three years old, and the favorite word of a toddler is no. And it's so important for parents bringing up kids to understand that this child absolutely needs to assert themselves and have the opportunity to make mistakes, fall down, stand up, do it over again to really develop a healthy ego and personality. And so what that child within, this is also very much informed by Melanie Klein's work, who was a psychoanalyst, who was a disciple of Freud's, although went off in a very different direction and studied children. It's, I believe that all of those very intense feelings that we had as little ones, rebelliousness and rage and vindictiveness. I mean, little kids will play with each other and grab a toy from another one with no, you know, (laughs) no problems with that. And of course, (laughs) as we get older and, and jealousy, you know, and envy, as we get older, we learn how to filter those feelings so that we can be appropriate in society. However, they still exist in us. And I think that people who are 
unwilling or scared, let me say scared, of being in touch with those feelings are the ones who end up acting out more. And those feelings do run their lives. So if we can understand this piece of rebelliousness that started in toddlerhood, comes up big time in adolescence, and understand that, as you said early, I mean, if we don't acknowledge that part, it is going to run us. So we have to be very gentle and have a conversation between that little one in us who's saying, oh, yeah, you're telling me I can eat whatever I want? Well, I'm going to show you I'm going to eat everything inside and not pay any attention to how I feel. Yes. Because I've just been told that I can eat everything I want. And it's true. (laughs) Intuitive eating does say make peace with food. However, it also, we talk about respecting your body. And so, sure, I mean, if I want to eat Oh, I don't know, hot fudge Sunday for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, I could, but I wouldn't feel very good. And I'd also be craving other foods. So I think being respectful to autonomy, making sure that we understand that that's an important part of our healthy ego. Yes. And also you know, having a conversation with that part if it's just trying to be a bratty little tantrumy child. <laughs> you know, to, uh, Yeah. And I think that uh, right now in our culture, in our country, maybe all over the whole world, there's a lot of our inner childs are coming out and and ravaging because we are so scared and fearful right now and upset. And this is what a lot of times we do when we get like that. So we have to be really, really sweet to ourselves and compassionate and sit this little girl or boy down and say, what can we do for you? And I love that part about that, of course, I can have a hot fudge Sunday for years since 1988. Carol and I have been saying, listen to your body, eat what you want, listen to your body, eat until you're full, wait till you're hungry, if you can, but be really gentle and nice to yourself. And of course, we can have hot fudge Sundays. But like you just said, I might not feel so great if that's all I ate. I know the last time I went to Belgium, my head said French fries and chocolate because that's what they have there that is so good. But my body went, you know what? That's enough French fries and chocolate. So I had to listen to that instead of what my head was saying. And I think that's the important part. I think we also have to understand the concept of habituation, which basically the definition of habituation is the greater the stimulus, the less the response. So the more we have of something, the less we're thinking about it, craving it. So with full permission to eat those hot fudge sundaes or whatever it is, your chocolate or your french fries, we don't build up this craving for something that's forbidden. And over time, if we put together both the listening to your body in terms of how your body feels and the fact that you know you can have this food forever or the next meal or the next day or whatever, what ends up happening is this lovely balance between foods that are probably going to nourish the body a little more than the play foods, which is what I like to call foods that other people call junk food. I don't like that term because to me, it implies it's garbage. It's something to be thrown out. And I actually honor play food because I think we all need to have some fun and play. So, Right. It's a judgment against the food and then therefore yourself if you're eating it. Yes, which causes then guilt and shame. Yeah. And then we overeat about guilt and shame. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's sad. So in this time, particularly, it's very important to treat ourselves with kindness. In fact, we renamed the original chapter called Coping with Feelings Without Using Food. We renamed it Coping with Feelings with Kindness. Very sweet. Very sweet. Yeah. Because yeah. there are going to be times when we're going to need more food for comfort. Of for course. me, distinguishing piece of that is 
staying present and recognizing when the food is still comforting, eating as much as you really need to comfort yourself versus continuing to eat without staying present. And it really isn't comforting you anymore. It's pushing away feelings, which are difficult. Definitely the times now, it's very difficult, but it's not mm-hmm. giving us what we really need in terms of satisfaction and comfort. So that's the point at which we want to say, okay, I can eat whatever I want to eat. I can eat as much as I want, as long as it's still comforting and satisfying to me. And maybe I need a different distractor right now than more food. Yeah. That's exactly right. And let's talk a little bit about something that you just said again a while ago about who is it that's in charge in here? And I find like the part of me that is sort of the more compassionate, loving, kind part of me, if my best friend wanted to eat three hot fudge sundaes, I would say, wow, what's going on with you? Are you okay? But to myself, I would just start screaming at myself and put myself on a really restrictive diet. And that's the other thing is that I find that if we talk to ourselves as if we are a kind friend or a good mother or a supportive father, then we'll get through these times a lot easier. Well, let me speak to that also in terms of a psychological model called transactional analysis, which was created by a psychologist named Eric Byrne, who happened to notice when he was treating his patients that within one session, he could see different, what he called ego state, show up within the patient. At times during the session, the person would be very childlike and at other times very authoritarian parental toward themselves. And and he realized that we all carry within us, and he called them ego states, these three specific ones, which are the parent, the adult, and the child. And so when we speak to ourselves or to someone else in an authoritarian parental voice, what ends up happening is we're eliciting that rebellious kid in reaction. So I think it's so important what you were saying, Laurie, about not speaking in a judgmental or unkindly way to ourselves. It's so important to understand that the more we nurture ourselves, the more we're kind and gentle, the more I like to say come from a place of curiosity, not judgment. What's going to happen is we're going to bring about a little more neutral adult reaction rather than that rebellious kid reaction. Yes, I know that here in California, we're staying in place. But if we do go out, we're supposed to keep six feet apart. And I was walking my dogs the other day and sort of wasn't watching what I was doing. I was looking at the dogs and I kind of maybe came a little too close to a person who was walking also the opposite way. And she yelled at me to get back. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But there was a part of me that came up so fast that I wanted to just go kiss her. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Sure, your I little did. rebellious kid didn't right. like being yelled at yeah. by this authoritarian uh, right. person. <laughs> right. So, <sighs> But I did not do that. And I acted yes. like a nice person and went home really uh-huh. sorry about that. I wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> Well, and of course, and also being empathic to the other person who's coming from fear. So Absolutely. we might not act that way at any other time in our world, but right now it's a different place. We're in a different place. Yeah, agreed, uh, agreed. I will say, I find that people seem to be more loving toward each other right now, more concerned about their neighbors. We have Definitely. a neighborhood watch in my community and people are caring about what's happening with everybody else. And we're waving, when we go out and take walks, we're waving to each other six feet apart. But I think this can bring out that fear reaction, but it also can bring out that loving, nurturing parent as well. Yes, 
And it's a funny thing because I am 68, so I was put on senior lockdown right away here in California. And it was funny to have people in my neighborhood call me or text me, are you okay? Can I get you some groceries? And I'm thinking, hmm, what? And I realize, oh, I'm the senior. I'm the elder. Oh my goodness. When did that happen? Well, I, I feel that way too. I'm 75. So. Yeah, so weird. <laughs> I went to Whole Foods and during the senior you can go at 7 a.m. Yeah. Uh, during the senior time and looking around, I'm thinking, yeah, well, it's kind of good being among all of us older people because we're a little more cautious. And yeah, of course, at this point, true. I'm trying to navigate Instacart and some of these other delivery things, and I think there are more problems than they're worth. <laughs> yeah, well... Whatever we need to do to get through it. So tell me a little bit about your new book coming out about the sort of journal and workbook. I find that, again, if I think about my own recovery and then the clients that I've had all these years, I find that when they're really scared or worried or obsessive or whatever it is that's going on with them, habitual, whatever, if they'll get into their more creative side and start writing or journaling or playing music or dancing or making art or whatever it is that takes them out of that loop-de-loop-de-loop of I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat, or I'm gross, I'm gross, I'm gross, or whatever. So it's very great that you're doing a journal book and you were saying that you've got some other parts about that. Well, what I'm thinking is that often to, to suggest to a client it's a good idea to journal. Often get a rebellious reaction of, no, that just sounds too hard. I don't want to do it. But with this book, there's it's more of a guided journal. And I think people are going to be a little more receptive to a little review, a short couple paragraph review of each of the principles of intuitive eating, but then some very guided prompts to look at certain intentions of making change that will be helpful for them. And then each part has plenty of space to journal about it. And I know for me, I think I would be more apt to want to write in a journal if it weren't as free flowing. I used to in my younger years. That was a very important coping skill for me. But at this point, with so much to do, I think it would just be a, a really nice thing to have somebody, that would be me, <laughs> prompted yeah. in the journal. Think about this particular thing. How does that feel? Is there an intention about making a change and then have them be able to write about that in the space? I love that. What's the name of that book? It's called The Intuitive Eating Journal, Your Guided Journey for Nourishing a Healthy Relationship with Food by Elise Resch. And then my quote is, trust your inner voice, not diet culture. Oh, my God. But I can so never remember fabulous. So I the intuitive eating journal. <laughs> yes. Well, I love it. That says everything right there. Yes. So yes. we're getting to almost the end of our little interview here. I just want to see, is there any last minute things that you'd like to talk about? Okay. I have two pet topics I'd like to talk about besides autonomy and all the psychology of this. Right. Is the true definition of intuitive eating. There's a lot of misinterpretation of what intuitive eating actually means. And I'll tell you a little story. Many years ago, not that many, maybe within the last 10 years, I would say, I had signed up for a conference and looked at the the list of speakers and the talks, and I saw that somebody was speaking about intuitive eating. And I was taken aback and wrote to the person and said, well, I see you're talking about intuitive eating. I'm one of the co-authors. I'm interested in this. And that person said, I'm going to be gender neutral. That person said, oh yeah, this is going to be a great talk about intuitive eating. I said, well, I'll be at the conference. So they said, come on to the talk. Well, to not make the story too long, 
I arrived at the talk and discovered that this person was actually bashing intuitive eating. Oh. And what they had said, after showing the first slide being a picture of the book with Evelyn and me on there and, and that person introducing me as one of the esteemed authors, they then said, intuitive eating doesn't work because I looked in the dictionary, this was the speaker, I looked in the dictionary for the definition of intuition and it said instinct and studies show we can't just eat by instinct alone. And fortunately, we were in the process of writing the, yeah, it was about 10 years ago, I guess, nine or 10 years ago, we were in the process of writing the third edition, Evelyn and I, and realized we needed to have a much more understandable definition of intuitive eating. So I had been doing some reading about the development of the brain and the three parts of the brain that we have as humans and realized that this was going to be a foundation for what intuitive eating really is. And very quickly, back in the time when there were only dinosaurs, it's called the reptilian era, appropriately, dinosaurs truly were driven only by instinct. Their instinct was to survive. So when they'd see a smaller dinosaur, they'd go and eat it and not have thoughts or feelings, oh, I'm scared of this food, this is bad for me. They just wanted to survive. When mammals came about, another layer of brain functioning developed and it sits right on top of the reptilian brain, which is really right above our brain stem, right at the back of our head. And the mammalian brain sits on this matrix of instinct, and it's the seat of emotions and social behaviors. So if you have pets, cats, dogs, cows, <laughs> whatever, yeah, pigs, whatever your pets are, we know that they have feelings, but they don't have the ability to use their words. Yeah. So we have these same feelings. And then what differentiates us as humans is the neocortex or the cognitive part of the brain. So intuitive eating actually is a dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and thought. It's not just instinct. We may have a hunger instinct, but we might have an emotion that affects it. So then we have to use our thinking to be able to guide us to a choice in eating that's going to benefit us. Or sometimes we don't have hunger. Maybe you're so anxious in this era, let's say in this COVID-19 era, where your hunger is completely gone. We have to use the cognitive part of the brain to, uh, to say, yeah, but we have to eat anyway to take care of ourselves. So that's the true definition of intuitive eating. People often say to me, well, how do we start becoming intuitive eaters? Or to me, it's rediscovering our intuitive eater that we were born with. And I say, let's lead by satisfaction. Let's not lead by hunger or fullness. Let's look at how we can get the most satisfaction in our meals. And when you lead by satisfaction, it actually informs the other intuitive eating principles. So typically people know they don't want to eat something on their way to a delicious dinner. And I'll say, why not? And they say, well, I mean, I want to be hungry. So intuitively, people know that if you've got some moderate hunger, you're going to have more satisfaction. Right. And conversely, if you've been over hungry, you know, you're starved, you're not going to be able to enjoy your meal either because primal hunger sets in and you can't stop putting food in your mouth or the whole bread basket. So it informs hunger, it informs fullness, it informs, it's so connected with making peace with food because if we we haven't made that full piece with food so that all foods are emotionally equivalent, then we're not going to be able to have satisfaction for eating, going back to the hot fudge sundae. If it's really not okay, you're not going to enjoy it. So those are the two things I wanted to mention. I have a, a client a few years ago who said, I just cannot stop eating during this four o'clock period at work. I just start to get really, really hungry. I know I'm not hungry because I had lunch not that long ago. And I just don't understand why I'm just eating and eating and eating. And I said, well, what do you have for lunch? And she said, well, my boyfriend packs it for me because he knows that I'm always worried that I'm going to get fat. And I said, well, what does he pack you? And she said, I get an apple 
bowl, some cottage cheese, and a yogurt. And I said, uh huh. Uh-huh. Well, do you like that? And she goes, No, I don't like it at all. But I have to eat it. And I said, Well, there's why you're eating at four o'clock because you're hungry and you weren't satisfied and you weren't in charge of your own food. So I think maybe say thank you so much, sweetheart. But I'm gonna make my own food and I'm gonna pack what I want. And she goes, oh, I'll only pack chips. And I said, For a while, but not forever. Let yourself have what's going to satisfy you, just like what you just said. What do you really love? What's going to satisfy your body? And it took a little while, but it changed for her. Well, yeah, that couple, both of them are steeped in diet culture because the boyfriend Absolutely. is tied into the girlfriend's desire to be thinner. And He's trying to be helpful and in charge since she can't handle yeah. it, apparently, the whole thing. Anyway, they broke that pattern, and I have to say that she's... Well, that's good pretty good now. So I'm so, so glad that you came today and are talking to me about this such an important, all the time, all the time, it's an important issue. But I think right now it's really a big issue. Congratulations on your new books coming out and the one that is still in your pocket. And I just really appreciate you coming on. Well, and I just want to end with everybody be kind to yourself. Please. Do not judge yourself. Just be kind Please. right now. Okay. That's Always, right. Always, but especially right now. Especially you, right Riley. now. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.